The Redskins after the draft, and Ernie Grunfeld is staying on as general manager of the Wizards. Welcome back to the DMV Sports Roundtable with Jamal and George. I'm Dimitri. Our special guest is Ben Standig, co-founder of the Sports Capital. Find him on Twitter, at Ben Standig. Great to see you and great to meet you, from, speaking for myself, Ben. Dimitri, likewise. I've heard the voice over the years, so it's <laughs> great, great to meet you in person. You're very kind. Uh, Ernie Grunfeld is back. Fans don't know what to make of it. Some people are wondering, maybe the Wizards are not in a position to bring in a season and, and uh, a successful GM from somewhere else. So they're holding on to this guy. Uh, you'll forgive me for my rather negative uh, start here with this topic. <laughs> you know what? It's it's the way it always is with this topic. It, not just over the last 24 hours when the news has come out about this extension, but over the last however many years I've been covering the team, he's a lightning rod for, for so many. And I get it. At, he's been here for 15 years, almost regardless of what level of success or failure anybody would have. You'd think of where 15 years there are opportunities for uh, off-ramps to get out and people to say, hey, it's time for a change just because. That he's had as many downs as he's had, he makes it even more so, and yet here he is. And the question everybody asks is why? And I don't have a great answer other than to say, one, there have been some some successes. I mean, they got the extension last year coming off a 49-win season. They were one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. The core of their team they kept with by re-signing John Wall and Otto Porter, all the players he brought in. So those are positive reasons. On the other hand, <laughs> just in terms of just recently, you know, the summer of 2016 with, with they had a lot of money for agency, completely botched that, and that led to Part of the reason why they didn't advance further in 2017, why they had issues this year, so on and so on. And ultimately, I think really the fact that the Wizards just don't come out and say anything, I think is the weirdest part of all, frankly. That's it to me. Just if you believe in this guy, if you believe the things I just said and more, then stick your chest out, say it, put out a press release, do something that they don't. It makes it feel like, I don't know, are they embarrassed? Do they know, hey, the PR hate is going to be terrible, so we don't even want to discuss it? But that just, you know it's there. Just just go into it and just admit what's happening. I've they've, never seen anything like that. They, you know, they say it's their policy not to uh, flaunt these things, is which is... It makes no sense. Well, they do, and and you know the Capitals. It's the same way now. That said, that Brian McClellan, the Caps GM, earlier this year, kind of the same thing. Somebody reported that he had an extension. But the reporters on the beat were able to confirm it in the usual way. I heard about this in the fall. I promise you, I talked to a lot of different people, and including people high in the Wizards organization, and they wouldn't say anything. And then even after we all sort of had this, they still wouldn't do that. They just gave the standard, we don't, uh, it's not our policy. So it's just confusing and, and odd. And yeah, that's there the it is. The fact that it was done in secret is the most bothersome part about it. Because you had, I think it was Houston's GM. They just announced that the other day. But look what they are. I mean, I guess you had to do it in secret because, like you said, the PR hit would be ridiculous. You're seeing the backlash now. And the fact that it's done in secret makes it even worse. And the fact that you're rewarding. you Okay, I wasn't going to use the word mediocrity. Maybe that's a little strong because I'm not a huge fan of it. So I'll say, I don't know. I'm not going to use mediocrity. He has had some good points. But you're rewarding you know, average, I guess I would say, performance from a general manager for 15 years now. And it's not really paying dividends. I think the moves that he's made up to this point, a lot of those were cleaning up his own messes. You know, missed uh, draft picks, John Vesley, everybody, you know, remembers that one. Then You you know, he cleans it up with a Gortat trade, with a Marquise Morris trade, and tries to clean up messes that he's made in the past. But why are you still here? What do you have on Ted that we don't know about? Where are the news? What What is going on that 
Ted is alive. He's got something on him. He's got to. He's got at this Ted's point, loyal. George. At this Ted's point, loyal. you look at you're rewarding this, and for all these years, oh, 15 I'm with, years. I'm with you on it. I I, I don't know how to. He's, know he's got some dirt. So he's got some dirt on somebody. And no, I mean he's a. And the only ways you can things you can point to, uh, with Ted is look, Randy Whitman. Flip Saunders' assistant coach was still coaching his team for the longest time mm-hmm. because he was under contract. Randy didn't want to be a head coach. I know. But when, saying, Flip, when Flip was gone, he said, I came here to be an assistant. It seemed like he reluctantly took the job, and he took it, and I, I was fine with Randy. But, but Randy wasn't, said, it's not it what wasn't I his extension for. slash new deal on the low end of, of... Well, the deal, I mean, and this is sort of an example, is it's weird that it happened this way, but the Flip Saunders' assistant's had more years on their deal than Flip Saunders did at the okay. time that they fired Flip Saunders. Right. So rather than go out and pay, fire them too and then bring in a completely new staff, he just kept the staff and elevated Whitman right. up. And then he liked the cut of Whitman's jib to some degree. And, you know, they he was giving them the tough love and they had a young roster. And obviously the, the, the success that this core has had started with Whitman. But yes, mm-hmm. ultimately that is essentially how it came to be that Whitman became the coach because he was there and yeah. they just didn't want to pay two stabs. Right. Uh, and look, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 we, we, we always talk about money here that is beyond anything I can comprehend. So it's not my money. And I, I'm sure I wouldn't, I'd be careful how I would spend it as well. But it's... I, the perception of constantly of do, we're doing the best we can to put up forth a winner is just there's just too many things that go against that. Mm-hmm. Whether you think the Grunfeld one is one of them or not, there's some people who think one of the reasons Grunfeld stays on is he's not a very expensive uh, commodity. Okay. That if you went and hired whoever you think is a top end general manager, that that person would cost you a bunch of money. They did give Scott Brooks a five year, thirty five million dollar contract, and if you typically look at the Wizards and the Caps. Very rarely does he spend a lot of money on both positions. Mm-hmm. The Capitals famously had George McPhee and a first-year coach with no experience. This then they flipped it. They went Barry Trotz and a first-year general manager who presumably was making nothing. Right. So they don't look to spend typically a lot of money at those spots. I yes. think if you if if you were to the trivia question is about who, the longest tenure GM. It's Danny Ainge, and who was I saw was one other person. Well, R.C. Buford and Pat Riley. If Pat, you, yeah. okay, Th- right. those are the three that have essentially have been there as long as Ernie. I think I saw somebody say Donnie Nelson in Dallas, but in any event, all of those guys have at least been part of a one, at least one title in that position, mm-hmm. and obviously the Wizards have. Yeah, not. I was just say if you if you, if you what's wrong what's the wrong with this picture? You put those names up with Ernie. And the job yeah. security and the length. Also, that begs a question about Ted, about Leontes, because you just mentioned McPhee. And McPhee gave you winners. Of course, he got to his ceiling, I guess. Yeah. But you got rid of him, and Ernie is still around? And Ernie hasn't given you nearly as many you know, well-built teams or contending teams Did McPhee, McPhee want to go, together. though? He Wasn't probably he, he may have. Wasn't it almost a mutual thing? Or that, you know, that, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. I mean, so so here's the thing where it gets complicated. Though I would say on, on that front, with regards to Grunfeld, when he arrived, they had they had missed the playoffs 15 of 16 years. He immediately gets in there. They get Gilbert Arenas, they get Antoine Jameson, they get Karan Butler, and they make the playoffs four years in a row. And, and we know how that thing ended. But mm-hmm. and you know, look, there, there, there's the Gilbert Arenas injury, and uh, and Karan <laughs> Butler got hurt. And you know the, that team at one point. Eddie Jordan was the all-star coach because one year because they had the best record yeah. or the, whatever mm-hmm. at the all-star break. Yeah. So they were some success. It all fell apart. Then it fell apart insanely with Gilbert Arenas and the guns in the locker room thing. 
Ted, around that time is when they got the number one pick and got John Wall, and Ted Leonsis took over as owner. And he came in, having seen what he did with the Capitals, build through the younger player, mm-hmm. and he said, that's what we're going to do here. So we talk about like the 76ers and the process. Yeah. The Wizards essentially did that, as other teams do. They just didn't promote it the way the Sixers did. Well, they had to do it twice, because the Nick Young, JaVale McGee, Andre Blatch debacle, they had to get that out of the locker room, the knuckleheadness out of the locker room. So they tried to build with those three, the way they're doing it with Otto, John, and, right. uh, and what and, year uh, was Blatch? Yeah. What year was Blatch and those guys? Wall was drafted in ten. He was the, the, the they, were already, they were already there. They were already there. I yeah. mean, the thing yeah. about this, I mean, again, Andre Blatch was a second round pick. He wasn't a bust. He wasn't just not a very uh, smart young man yeah, and right. had a lot of personal uh, foibles that were. And you can, I think, one of the biggest indictments I would say maybe on the Grunfeld thing is he's allowed too much freedom for some of these guys. They, mm-hmm. they don't sort of mm-hmm. uh, go, uh, make them grow up a bit more. He, yeah. he sort of, and you know, whatever. In any event, but like yeah, so Ted came and saw those three guys that you mentioned and said that that will be our three. He they quickly learned that was going to be wrong, and they mm-hmm. also they wanted to get rid of the knuckleheads around yeah. John Wall. But then they did that. One trade led to another, led to another, led to another, and they ended up with uh, Gortat, Trevor Ariza, mm-hmm. Nene. They have they draft John uh, Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, mm-hmm. and that came from the bad. So when people point to his terrible winning percentage under Grunfeld, I get it. If you don't have those down years, you don't get John Wall, Otto Porter, Bradley Beal. True. So that is part of the equation. Then from that, they've now made the playoffs four to five years. They haven't. The, the Capitals have gone no further than the Wizards have in the playoffs during this whole time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. th- to that extent, it's the same. The regular season is off. And, you know, even this year, John Wall misses half the season with an injury. I can't blame Grunfeld for that. Right. So it, it's tricky for me. I, I understand 100% why people are like, seriously, he's staying? Are you yeah. kidding me? I, and I get why he maybe could have gone three different times over the last 15 years. I also get, if you get to each step, why at that moment they said, well, we think we can keep going. Even last year, again, off the year they had, I get why they kept going. I think my thing is this going forward, to give him, him the extension now. Well, yeah, last year they were in Game 7, so I wrote, right. I mean, the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. They're one step, you know, one I mean, game from yeah, a... Yeah, and, and all that is valid. I think yeah. my biggest thing now, more than, you know, what's on the court is, how do you get this team better roster-wise? Something needs to be changed, but the problem with that is he has their hamstrung cap-wise from decisions and moves that he's made and contracts that he's done. They have no money. So where do you go from there? You know, how does he? Okay, so Leon, uh, Leontes must have some sort of optimism that Ernie has a plan to better this team somehow and improve the roster. On the outside looking in, I have no clue how you're going to do that. You have to. I mean, you can argue this is the biggest off season in a long time, right? But what are they? What, what can 20, they do though? Twenty sixteen was a big deal, and they had money, and unfortunately, right. that's true. They used it the way that they used it. <laughs> Uh, th- this one is a big deal, for sure. I mean, they have some th- they have some opportunities in that uh, Markeith Morris mm-hmm. and Marching Gortada in the last year of their contracts, which makes them a little more tradable. And while Kelly Oubre is not in the last year of his contract, it's essentially the last year they have before they have to give him an extension if they want right, to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're not going to give him that extension, you don't think he's worth. I don't even know what the numbers would be. Then this was the year. This is the year to do it. Yeah, so between those three guys, yeah. you may be able to do something. You also have the number one pick, and you have Jan Mahimi in the sense Mahimi, of yeah. you have Ubre in the pick. You, can you attach one of them along with some of those other guys to bring in mm-hmm. somebody else or multiple pieces? That to me is their one hope. Maybe they trade Otto Porter. That doesn't seem as likely to me, but that's possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure who would take on that deal. I mean, being a, it's it's so new. You know, he's just into that deal. But I mean. 
If you're going to move one of things those, has have happened. Who, I mean, team's it, got money now. Of those three, so who's the that. one you move? Auto? Would you move? Well, tough question. Out of who? Out of Auto and who? Ubre? The three, the big three. Oh, Beal and Auto. Well, I guess I would look at it a couple ways. If you're looking at it like what's in terms of this thing, like I just need to sort of how can I make something better? Auto is the easiest one to move. Yeah. It makes less money. Um, I promise you, every other team in the league would take him. That maybe yeah. the money is a bit much. They all love him. He does sure. so much. He's so efficient. He, he doesn't cause any issues. He would blend in with everybody. Mm-hmm. If the goal is to win a title, which people say that's what they want, if that's actually the goal, <clears throat> don't, don't don't quote me on this. If this is actually the goal, I would trade. Stop recording, Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've stopped the cassette player that we're using here to record. I, I would honestly say the answer is probably John Wall. I don't think realistically to win a title, John Wall can be the best player on your team. And I don't know mm. if realistically John Wall thinks he will be anything other than the best player on the Wizards, no matter who shows up. Who's here, yeah. And I think because of that, if if, if that's the goal, and I don't, mm. I'm not convinced that it is, but if that's the actual goal... And it's not easy. His, his contract, as somebody described to me, is onerous. I mean, it, it hasn't even kicked in yet, the extension. Yeah. He's got the knee problems. So I don't even know if he's tradable. But if you could trade mm-hmm. him and get fair value, I think he's the one I actually would trade. Now, uh, as far as public uproar, if I could put it that way, wouldn't it be even bigger than uh, an Ernie Grunfeld contract extension? People are like, you're sending our star away. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It would be the reason why I don't think it would happen in part is because of the PR hit. Mm. Uh, you know, Bill Belichick, one reason why he's been successful, he does view the players essentially as r- just random pieces. There's no emotion attached to any of it. He, whatever it is, he'll just move whatever he thinks is fair value. Uh, that I don't see that happening here. And like I said, John Wall is a hell of a player, he's one of the top 10, 15 players in the league. Uh, you know, a lot of their success has come from him. I actually think if they were facing the Cleveland Cavaliers in the playoffs right now, even with the crazy season they had, I think they'd have a shot simply because he is not afraid. Right, and mm-hmm. that is a huge. That, that's what that. Toronto is lacking right now. They clearly have a have a LeBron mental problem. Right, most but, teams in East do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and the Wizards have it. I just think that. He, he at this point he's 28 years old. He's been in the league for more than a minute. Wow. He, it is harder to see that him changing who he is. We, we all grow as people, but it's harder to see it changing the longer it goes on. And I don't think the way he's he goes about it, I, I just don't see how they can add more to this to make it be, uh, jump above the, the top teams in the East if he keeps going the way he is. It's not horrible by any stretch. It's just just not quite there. I don't think. And you, but you don't. Is it also? I think you look at it too. Is Beal's not. If Beal were a, a killer, if Beal was the, you could see right. Beal taking over games, Beal being the guy, I think it'd make it a little easier for people. It would to, be, to swallow, it, but right? Beal likes to be fast and be late to the game sometimes. And, <laughs> you know, he'll be non existent for the first quarter, first half, you know, and then he'll, he'll go out and put up 20 something. But if that's your, and that's the kind of problem I have with Auto is that, okay, now you're a max player. You know, I know yeah. you're behind these two. But you've got to step up, you know, if these two are down. And he's done it before. Mm-hmm. But I need to see it on a more consistent basis. But, no, Bill doesn't have that killer instinct. Yeah. You know, they, they, you could poke holes in all three. You know, Otto was probably the easier one. But to Dimitri's question, I think that the backlash from the fans would be less depending on what you get back. Right. You know, if you yeah. get back, not necessarily, you know, a slew of – Young players that most fans would be like, who the hell is that? If you get back an all-star point guard, you know, and some pieces to add on the bench, you know, some possible six-man-of-the-year candidates or something like that and some picks, it might soften the blow just a little bit. I mean, you're still going to get the backlash no matter what. 
because people in the city love John Wall and he's embraced the city and I yes. love to see that. Yeah. But if you get back somebody of that same all-star caliber, then they're like, well, well maybe I'm okay with this. Right. And like I said, I'm not advocating to trade it. I'm just saying if the if your goal, the goal is we're going to win the title, I just think if you're looking at the situation, a part of it, I would also just say this. I think Otto Porter and Bradley Beal, the way they play, they can blend in with almost anybody. Mm-hmm. I just think with John Wall, depending who you bring in, it may not be a good fit. He's such a ball-dominant player. That's true. And other superstars tend to be that way as well, and that's mm-hmm. where it could be uh, confusing. That's why you're here, Ben, because you think clearly. You're not <laughs> You're not concerned with what the, the angry crowd is going to say. You're just looking at it you know, from uh, X's and O's, I guess. Perspective. So. Well, wait till they start yelling me on Twitter. <laughs> I'm what is your take on uh, on Ubre? Is it is it because I've had this discussion with a lot of people? Is it you know how often how how much longer can we use that he's young? Excuse. I don't think you can. We were talking about this before. Yeah. Well, I think you can still use it in a sense that he's what twenty two and he's a young twenty two. Yeah. He's a, he's a very he's a very interesting kid. Very nice kid. I enjoy dealing with him. Uh, he's got a lot of interest. He's kind of a space cadet. I mean that in a fun way. But in terms of the basketball court, you know, a question I've always asked, like sort of example with John Wall, came in as a lousy three point shooter, and yeah. we've seen over the years players can evolve as a shooter. Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd, John Wall this year shot thirty seven percent from three. He got better. I've always questioned this. Can you improve your instincts mm-hmm. on the court? Because sure. Ubre was described by one person pre-draft. Uh, I think ESPN had this as, uh, oh, what's the word? Uh, well, basically, he had non-existent instincts. They were just abysmal. And mm-hmm. you watch him play, and you really do sometimes think to yourself, wow, I don't know if this kid understands what his role is what's on the court, what's yeah. happening. Yeah, he, he he forces shots at the wrong time. He His his. In, Individual defense, he's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Group defense, he really sometimes is just completely missing the boat. And I don't know if that can improve. I've asked many people that over the years, can you improve instincts? I don't know if that's possible. So based on that, athletic, athletically, he like he was a huge key to me this year as to why they didn't take another step. He faded off big time in the second half of the I year. Agree. He, from February 1st to the end of the season, he was last in the NBA in three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and... And and even when brought that up, Scott Brooks would criticize his defense more. Sure. So he athletically is huge for them because he's the one guy they have a young the younger guy who can really make a huge difference. But I, in terms of what we talked before, like what can they do? If somebody out there is interested in him, as painful as it might be to trade away a young player, I would consider it because it just seems like extending him next year may be dicey. He'd have to improve a lot for me yeah. to feel good about that. And. You know, again, to sort of the to, to the Ernie Grenfell thing, they traded up to get him. I didn't love the pick at the time. He's an interesting player. Maybe mm. it works out, but a lot of people do like it. I don't know if people criticize Grenfell for getting Ubre, but that is one where he did trade up, and I don't. We'll see if it works out. He's got to make. He's he's got to turn the corner. I mean, to me, at this point, is pretty much. I'm not gonna say no more excuses because, like you said, he is a young 22. He's got to turn the corner. He's got to start. What kind of player are you going to be? Yeah. And that's why the best point about potential. trading him, you, I think people, I think, I, I damaged, damaged goods isn't what I'm trying to say. But like, I think another team will he's still, got see, an, he'll still. See, an, see an upside. He's got and upside. We'll, we'll give up but, something. You know, my hope, you know, for what they have is that he and Sato, who showed what he can do, mm-hmm. that they keep on that upward trend. Sato did, like you said, Kelly trailed off towards the end of last uh end of the season, he was ice cold from three for the last, you know, however long to the end of this end of the season. But if if those two can turn the corner and make a breakthrough and kind of take their games to the next level, 
then that helps in-house. But if you have that, then yes, if they stay the same, something's got to change. Because that's the core of your bench, and you don't really have a bench. And 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 this goes to go back to the Grunfeld thing. You're right; it's a lot on his plate. I I think there was enough, even though there were a lot of issues I had with the roster. I think there was enough there for them to have actually done significantly better than they did. I think if Scott Brooks had used some people differently, so for example, Scott Brooks would always start an all, an all bench unit in the second quarter, which means from Ubre's perspective, he has to be the main guy. He's not right. out there with. Otto Porter or John Waller or Marquise Morris. So he has to be the main guy. And that, I think, feeds into the wrong part of his mentality. He's over-aggressive. Mm-hmm. He needs to not be that guy. So Scott Brooks didn't have to do that. He could have kept a starter, as do probably 90% of most teams in the league do. Sadoransky, another one, he's clearly, clearly a much better player as a point guard than on the wing. Mm-hmm. But yet Scott Brooks repeatedly plays him on the wing, talks about his versatility. At the exit interviews, John Wall pointed out that Sadoransky was better off at the point. But yet Scott Brooks would often play him away from that and did it in the playoffs. So it seems like if you took the pieces you had, made a couple key tweaks, you could have had, just within that group, you could have been better. Again, it doesn't change some issues with the roster, but it's it's for me, it's part of what makes the, the, the evaluation challenging of, of Grunfeld and everybody because it isn't just that. You, if you just did a couple other things, maybe it would have worked out a little bit better. What do you mm-hmm. take from John's comments about people knowing their roles? Who's he talking to? Uh, Besides Marchin, <laughs> I I, th- I think Marchin Gortat was was a lot of the uh, was a lot of the uh, focal point of John Wall's comments. I mean, there that for just sure. that shot on the bench of him yelling at each other and beer with his hands in his head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was just you know. So they have an interesting relationship. At times, I think it's brother squabbling, and other times it's more annoyance. Um, and and look, they're obviously two people from completely different walks of life, and they have to throw it into this thing. Yep. I think I think like for example that pic, that that image people talked about. I've seen them talking and having regular you know fun oh, yeah, conversations, yeah, 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 so yeah. it's not like a, a terrible thing. But that said, this maybe this is a different angle of the John Wall thing. You bring that up, he he talks about being a leader, and then he goes out there at the exit interviews, and it was fun for us. But he threw, he said a lot of things that you would be like, if I'm the team, I'm like, uh, dude. Why are you saying these things right. publicly? And you know, you go back. What's the thing that we all think about with the Wizards? The biggest concern from the roster? We think that John Wall and Bradley Beal don't like each other, right? That's what people tend to think or ask questions. Yeah, that's the perception. The only reason we any of us have that perception is it wasn't an Adrian Wojnarowski Woj bomb. Right. It wasn't some report. I. It was John Wall to the local. Wizards TV reporter unprompted just blurted it out, <laughs> yeah. and and he does stuff like that. It's he's candid. Yeah. We we want we we always want athletes to speak their mind, and that's great. But I, I I wrote the other day. It's like with him on the fast break, he'll be better when as a leader. He like like on the fast break, he needs to learn how to downshift sometimes. Mm-hmm. It can't be hundred miles an hour always. He does it both on and off the court, and when he can pull up is when I think he'll go to the next level in both. In both areas. How hot do you think Scott Brooks' seat is getting right now, if at all? Uh, it's zero. He's got three years, okay. $21 million mm-hmm. yeah, left. I don't that, think it is either. Based on how the organization does no. because I don't think he's there's any issue there. All right. So you don't think he needs to make any – well, not off of that. What issues do you think Brooks needs to clean up going forward? Because some of his lineups is like he's <laughs> well, just, he's just lineup, tinkering. Yeah. He's, he's just, you know, at the end of the season, you should not still be tinkering with lineups. Now, I understand he had to deal with injuries – I get that. But it's like he was just toying around. Like he really had no plan for who's going to be here, what he wants to do. No plan for what I want to do with Saddle. No plan for what I want to do with this person. He's just all over the damn place. But 
That's what I see. I don't. What, do you see any other weaknesses? Uh, well, I mean, but to your point, like I used to, you know, watching sports, you always used to know with your teams, if you watch your team a lot, okay, I know the first substitution will be this player, yeah. or at the eight-minute mark, mm-hmm. well, these guys will come out, or whatever. And Scott Brooks, every game to game, I had never had any real right. clue other than the start of the second quarter, the all-bench would be in there one way or the other, and that would, that would annoy me. Um, <laughs> you know, for example, again, this is sort of bring it to the Grunfeld thing. One move Grunfeld did this year that everybody will give him credit for is signing Mike Scott. Minimum contract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Way exceeded that. The first three games of the Toronto series, Mike Scott was the Wizards' third best player behind yeah. Wall and Beal. He was playing over 20 minutes a game, doing really great. In the last three games, he played, I think, like 14, 15, and 15 minutes. And when asked after the fourth game why, so the first one of the games where he played lesser minutes, why that happened, Scott Brooks said, yeah, you know, I'm kind of mad about myself about that, but sometimes you have to go with your gut. Apparently, his gut said to continue to go down that path for the next two games. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, his usage at times sort of frustrates me. And a lot of people will, will point to their half-court offense being fairly predictable. You mentioned Otto Porter before. Mm-hmm. It is a constant chicken-and-the-egg thing. Does he need to be more aggressive, or do they just simply need to run more plays for him? He's an incredibly sure. efficient shooter, finished third in the league in three-point shooting, and they essentially almost run zero plays for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can't have no—what game was it where he had one or zero attempts, three attempts? I mean, you can't have that in a yeah, playoffs no. model. Not, I, not know for somebody, I know he was hurting, but you can't— Not for a max player. You yeah. can't—I mean— Well, especially since not, that's if he's what hurting, he does. That's not all on him. That's you know that's part of the blame on, on Brooks. Mm-hmm. And he came in—this is the thing I also had with Brooks. You came in lauded as a defensive-minded coach. Where is it? No, the defense has definitely taken a step back <laughs> in the last it? two years for sure. I mean, it, they have games where they, I think, early on the season, they played a great defensive game against Golden State. I can't blame. I, I have it's, a hard time blaming coaches for this stuff. They always well, say it, it I, and it, the players just refuse to go do it. That's true. You know, and that, that was my second part of the yeah. point. It's not all on him. Right. But it seems like the mentality is not even there. Yeah. Like it's not even something that he's instilled in them and then they're just not executed. I mean, they are just playing out flat out, not executing. But I'm I'm not seeing the mental the mentality of it's being coached into them. So that's another thing I have. You know, that's that's been a problem for them. But beyond Brooks, this team has had defensive problems mm-hmm. defending the three point line way you know before Brooks even got here. So it's definitely not all on him. In a few minutes, we'll be speaking with an author about the future of baseball. But between now and then, we got six minutes. Uh, ben, how would you size up the Redskins draft? Yeah, uh, draft grades. Such, such a uh, <laughs> everybody loves to. It's always an exciting time. But then I think of you know some players that haven't worked out, and you need to keep a level head. Kind of like trading John Wall. You know, <laughs> right? You got to do the hard work. You know, there, there's obviously two ways to look at it. There's what's the, there's the individual players, how they produce, and we won't have any real clue for three years, yeah. give or take. Then there's the strategy. What what was the plan? And I think from the strategy standpoint, I'd hard not to give the Redskins an A minus or mm-hmm. something like a B plus, whatever. Simply because they look they things they needed to address. There they were last in the NFL against the run last year. They went out and got one of the uh, uh, premier uh, run defenders in this draft in Deron Payne. The running game definitely needed a boost. They were able to trade down in the second round, and obviously Darius Geis comes with some controversy off off the field, some confusion. But as a player. He's considered to be a first-round talent by a lot of people. So you did that, and you added a third pick, which got you another offensive lineman. Uh, look, they, they still need uh, – they didn't address the guard situation, as best I can tell. 
And, and that's know. something I thought was con- con- concerning. And, you know, they didn't get an, another tight end. I thought maybe they would do that. But, you know, by and large, it, it seems hard to complain about this draft. And then in the later rounds, they got some players that the real draft Knicks seem to think are potential uh, guys who can make the team, too. I do. So. I really do. I, and also, <clears throat> to go behind, take pain, but you also get Tim Settle in the— That's a guy I think that, is going to— yeah. yeah. In the in the, in the what fifth round fifth, they took settle yes, Virginia Tech. Yeah, if his weight round. is right, because he has had some fluctuating weight issues, you look at him for a man his size is what six three three twenty nine or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. He's a big dude and he eats up blocks, but he's also nimble enough on his feet to get to the passer. He's got a quick first step for somebody his size. I thought that was big. Um, the Mister Irrelevant is not so irrelevant. You see, Jay wanted to take him earlier. He was talked out of it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, to get him where they got him, the very last pick of the draft. Yeah, that guy led the nation in receptions last year and had somewhere like thirteen touchdowns. He, him, and Strowman, the last two picks, the last two, two seventh rounders. They Strowman also from Virginia Tech. Those two give you options in the punt return game, so you can get Crowder out of there. Because he doesn't need to do that anymore. <laughs> no. Those two can help you there. Angela Hall will do it. <laughs> <laughs> from where? From don't, ES- don't even joke. From, from ESPN? <laughs> he, you did you see he and Will Blackman on NFL Network yesterday? By the way, we're, we're no, I, random tangent. No, I've, I've, I've seen Blackman ESPN? trying to make a comeback. I've seen him working out. Blackman said he worked out for four teams, and all of them said, let's get through the draft and see how we do. And, we, you know, we got, your, we got your contact info, basically. But he and D'Angelo were on the, sa- on the set. Breaking it down. Yeah. Oh, leave it to George to take us off. Sorry. We well, don't have I a mentioned D'Angelo. One, one, one more thing. I liked everything they did in this draft. There's one pick, and I'm not going to say I didn't like it, but for the folks that were on the board in the fourth round when they took Apke, and I know he tested out of this world at the combine, and he can run, he can jump, he can do this and that, but Maurice Hurst was, was on the board from Michigan. I know he's got the heart issue, but he was flagged at the combine. He was told he didn't have to come back for the recheck. That lets me know that you're cleared. Right. We didn't want to take a chance there. Okay. Josh Sweat, pass rusher, was also on the board at the same point. And if he's healthy from Florida State, he's a hell of a pass rusher. And you keep on adding. I mean, they got settled, but you keep on adding to that line and just adding pieces to it. And where did Sweat go? He went to the Eagles. And what do they do? They stockpile the front seven. But, I mean, after you can be fine, I mean – but for what was on the board, you know, I, I, I kind of would have. If you're going to take a chance on combine testing, I probably would have took a chance on Hurst, who was a first-round talent. If he was cleared, he wouldn't win the first round, no doubt. Sweat, maybe second or third round, but we're talking fourth round. I think those guys are still. Apke, we'll see what happens. But those two could be starters. Apke is probably going to be a special team at best, mm-hmm. at least for now. But I would have took a, a gamble on one of those two as opposed to you know, the Al Davis, he ran a good 40 sort of reach. But, you know, it, it might work out. But for the, for the most part, I thought they did well. In our final minute, Ben, and you guys can roll your eyes at me for not coming in here with my facts. Uh, beyond being late to some meetings and that kind of thing, what's the deal with Geis? Is there any really ugly extracurricular it, all thing? All that was taken off the board. However, it, it was uh, speculated or said yeah. that when he visited Philadelphia, he got into a shouting match or altercation with one of their coaches. Harry Roseman, who was the GM of the Eagles, came out and flat out said that never took place. So, so there's nothing really tangible. No, or no evidence. They, of they trouble. said he's. They said he's immature. Yeah, I mean, there's... in terms of that situation, now there are other things, but it's yeah. an, I don't think it's anything, you know, that's 
I don't think you should have dropped that low. Well, all right, at the end of the day, he dropped uh, a guy who was projected by some people to be like, uh, some people projected him going to Redskins at 13. I was told that was never happening. But some people thought late first round, he yeah. slid to the second. Maybe every other team in the NFL overreacted, but... There was some. There was some reason they, if they did overreact, that they did. There are some concerns about his his maturity and things like that. But you know, at some point, I guess it wasn't anything so egregious that they felt, hey, at this point in the draft, it's worth the risk. My thing with that is with the maturity. Here's the discrepancy for me, because they said he plays video games. He's you know he's late. He's you know this that and the third. Okay, he's immature. He's 20 years old. Now there was a situation in Philly that did not transpire. Was proven to be false. Josh Allen really did tweet those racially insensitive tweets. Yeah. But what was the excuse for that? Oh, he was in high school. He was immature. He was just quoting a song. Still went in the top 10. Why does the same immature does not apply to him? He didn't slide nowhere. Still went in the top 10. But that's something he actually did that. Those tweets happened. So why does he get the excuse of... Oh, he was in he was in high school. He gives that excuse, but it's a knock on Geis who slides and loses money along the way. But I mean, again, I'm not defending, but Geis, they're saying it just happened. Like, it's, it's happening ongoing, whereas at least yeah. in theory, Allen, they're saying that's not what he is anymore. Or what, I, I don't even, I didn't pay too much attention to him. But I'm saying with Geis, there were definitely concerns about things that were happening in the moment. Right. I mean, he, 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 uh, he changed agents during this process, which is not completely abnormal. But it's one. It's just another thing. He also at the combine made comments that some NFL teams asked him whether yeah. he was gay. Right. Then when the NFL did an investigation, they said that they couldn't find any proof that that had happened. The NFL investigated themselves. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I mean, saying. But but we all know they do ask those questions. They asked this Brian, how did he feel about his mother selling herself? Was he a? Cra-? They asked. Yeah, they want to rattle you. Sometimes, but, but from what guy said, this is not far fetched. They do that. I'm going to rudely interrupt you, gentlemen, because on the phone we have author Susan Jacoby. Her new book is Why Baseball Matters. So let's shift away from the skins here for a little bit and talk some baseball. Your title is Why Baseball Matters. Uh, is it your view that, in addition to writing sort of a love letter to the sport here, the sport is in some danger of really becoming unpopular? I mean, it seems to be doing all right. Not of not of becoming unpopular in general. Here's the thing. It's kind of counterintuitive. Baseball as a business is enormously successful today. It's a $10 billion business. That is to say, billion dollars, not million dollars. But it also has the oldest fan base of any major sport. Uh, It has the smallest percentage of younger fans. It has, you know, its typical fan is a 57-year-old white man. Now, this is there's nothing there's nothing wrong with having a lot of older fans, but there is a problem ahead if they can't get more younger people back into the ballpark. My uh, my 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 theory about it uh, is, and I think it's a good theory. <laughs> I wouldn't have written it. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, is that the 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 fact that kids grow up with instant action, literally a click away uh, from the first day 
now. It doesn't go so well with baseball, which takes a long time to understand. If you don't understand baseball, you can watch a no-hitter, which to somebody like me is the most exciting thing in sports. And it looks like nothing is going on if you don't know how much skill it takes for that nothing to happen. Georgie, what do you think? I can definitely see where... And you hear a lot of it, a lot of talk too about the about trying to get the younger fans. Because what do you what do you do? You know, one of the first things you play as a youngster, you start playing baseball, right? I mean, I did. You know, you play. You, right. you hope to get into the game like I did. I mean, and I'm you know I'm 40, so I'm you know I grew up with baseball as well. But I can definitely see the just looking around the ballpark. You don't see as many youngsters. You don't see many kids around anymore. And you kind of th- and I, I've thought about it. And you think, well, you know, because that's a as a as a fan and as a baseball purist, you know, the the, the you know, taking your kids to games and the kids, you know, bring your mitt out there and catch catch, uh, you know, batting practice and things like that, home runs. So, you know, I can definitely see where it is uh, it is heading that way. And I don't I, I would like to see it kind of, you know, come back for sure. Susan, do you have solutions? Because you can't fundamentally what, what I, makes baseball great is I, is the pace sometimes. I have some suggestions. Uh, say that. Say that again. What makes baseball great is the pace. And by the way, you know, I, I my connection to Washington is deep. I began my career as a reporter for the Washington Post when oh, there was right. no baseball team, okay. when the woeful Senators were just gone, and before the Nats came. Now I'm in New York, and and I I. Had Adopted the Mets as my team. But I think that there are a lot of things that baseball can do. And one of them, the reason I mentioned that I spent years in Washington is is the owner of the Baltimore Orioles had, had a great idea at the start of this season for one thing to do. You bring your kid to a game, if you're a parent and you pay the full price, you bring your kid and the kid comes free. That is, I don't know anybody who is a baseball fan as an adult who didn't have, mine was my grandfather. I learned baseball in Chicago in my grandfather's bar. Uh, if you don't have some adult in your life who's interested in it to take you, who's going to turn down a free ball game? They should be doing that in every major league ballpark in the country because you guys know, if any of you have kids, you know what it costs to take your family to a ball game. Right. It costs a lot. That's one thing. What I don't think, this year, you all know that they've started these new rules to shorten the game. They think the problem is the game is too long. Nobody's going to watch something that lasts three hours. And so, like, by limiting the number of visits to the mound, maybe you cut five or ten minutes off the game. I interviewed almost 100 older teenagers who consider themselves fans for this book. and But they're not fans like I was when I was growing up, like, like they'll look, they'll open baseballs at bad app and check on something that's going on in a game and a team they're the fan of, uh, or they'll or they'll look at the you know at the summary of the game on their phones, that kind of thing. But I asked them if the game were two hours long instead of three hours long, would that make any difference? They all said baseball games are too long. And they said no, because two hours is long for them, too. So, <laughs> in other words, these little, these little fixes to just reduce the times of games by a little bit is not going to do it. I'll tell, I'll tell you another thing. I, I interviewed both Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, and Tony Clark, the head of the Players Union, for this book. 
And Tony Clark said something interesting, which is you can use actually digital media to educate people. Like what goes on in a no hitter? How do you set up? How do you set up a, a, a guy? How do you set up a batter to 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 go for the high inside pitch? What what is that pitch before it? That low outside pitch that if you don't understand the game means nothing to you. What does it have to do with the fact that the guy strikes out? You can use digital media to do that. What I don't think baseball should do is is what I hear a lot of. Like you hear a lot about how next year, which I don't think the players' union is going to support, there's going to be a pitch clock. That fundamentally changes the nature of the game, because one of the things that's about the nature of the game is the battle between the pitcher and the batter. You know, <laughs> it's it, it's it's a war that's going on, mm-hmm. uh, if, if, and part of it is the deceptive tactics of the pitcher. How long is it going to take him to deliver the ball to the plate? You don't you don't help a product by abandoning your unique selling proposition. Baseball's unique selling proposition is that it isn't like the instant culture we've got today. It requires concentration. It requires attention. It gives time for talking between those parents if they can bring their kid free to a baseball game in the afternoon on a Saturday. Hey, you could also have every weekend game in the daytime. I don't mean I don't mean during the week. I I you know a lot of times you get called a purist as if you want everything to be like it was when you're a kid. I don't want all baseball games to be in the daytime. I can't watch them. <laughs> But I do think that Saturday and Sunday games should be in the daytime. I think it would encourage a lot more parents to bring their kids to ball games. And I don't think that anybody young can really learn the game unless they've got an adult in their life they like being around who thinks it's important to teach them. Another thing I'd do if I were the players union at MLB is I'd send the stars out of the game because baseball is also down in African-American fans and women fans in comparison to a lot of other major sports. I would send the stars of the game out to schools. You hear about, I was just talking to a guy in in a station in Milwaukee where Wisconsin has a big opioid crisis. Uh, I said, why why don't you send, the Milwaukee Brewers ought to send some of their stars out to schools to talk about opioids. You think think kids wouldn't listen to ballplayers a lot more than they're going to listen to the school nurse? They would. And it's a way, I think, the, the stars of the game, the one demographic baseball is up in is Hispanic people. Why? And also even the young, because a lot of the current young stars of the game are Hispanic. MLB has got one good thing. They've got a play ball program for young kids in which you, kids just noodle around with a, with, a, with a ball and a bat and a stick. And, you know, somebody supervises them. You know, the era of unsupervised play is over. We'd all go out when we were kids, even even 20 years ago. Go out, you know, you know, throw the ball against, get your catcher's mitt, throw the ball against the uh, garage door, uh, or, or you'd go down to the end of the block. That kind of thing is over. Opportunities, unfortunately, have to be created for kids to play. I think it's a great thing, by the way, that Baltimore's doing. Yeah, up till. Nine years old, you can take the kid. I don't know if it's just so interesting that Baltimore is the the leader in this. (laughs) My brother-in-law did it. They said that they went the one day was Sunday when you kids go. I think it's Sundays. They had 27,000 people there because of that. Every 
major league team ought to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I you agree. know what? They they ought to they ought to put the age up to twelve. Uh, twelve is the age. Before twelve, baseball is still a sport played by the biggest number of kids, both boys and girls. There are right. a lot of girls in little league now. And then I don't know if any of you guys have kids, but what happens after that is kids start to specialize in the sports they're best at when they get into middle school. In other words, it doesn't become play ball, it becomes work ball. There there are for older high school age kids there are these elite traveling leagues that some parents spend a couple thousand dollars a year on it now. And they wonder why there are fewer African American and white players from Appalachia than there used to be, you know, going into the minor leagues. Well, I would suggest that most parents, I don't know, if my kid came to me and said, gee, Mom, I'm going to be a Major League Baseball player, how about $3,000? I would say, and I'm the one who's going to have to try to pay your college tuition. (laughs) You know, it's it's also the idea of semi-professionalizing what ought to be fun for 15- and 16-year-olds. There's something that's not great about it. When, when kids think of a, something as more work than fun at that age, baseball shouldn't be a job for a 15-year-old. Susan, you've given, uh, given us a lot to think about. We really appreciate talking to you today. Well, lovely talking to you guys uh, in in Washington. Washington Post gave a great review of my book. Uh, I, I'm too old to have been the first generation who covered uh, who covered sports for the Post, and in a way, I'm lucky on that because those first women in the 1970s who covered the ballparks and the clubhouses they had it tough. Best of luck to you, and congratulations on the book. Thank you a lot. Thanks very much. That's Thank you, Susan. Susan Jacoby. She has written Why Baseball Matters. We just, the Redskins, I say we, just re-signed Sean, Sean LeBeau. I don't know what the terms are, but I just, you know, tapped Ben on the shoulder and saw that. Because he didn't mention guard. Now, is he yeah, going to start? I don't know. I was told, like, way back, right at the start of free agency, that the Redskins were going to go inexpensive at guards. And you watched how the offseason played out, and they didn't bring anybody in. And then they get to the draft, and I think – in the second round, maybe they were maybe they would have thought to take somebody, but a lot of the guys went off the board right before they picked. Mm-hmm. And look, they don't. That to me is the biggest question mark right now. I mean, Sean Laval was the starter last year, so you can just assume he'll at least be in the mix. But there was a reason why they needed an upgrade at that spot yeah. anyway. And then all the other options they have, you know, they want to move Ty and Secchi over from tackle to guard. I will see if that works. Right. Ari Quanjo was a guy that played for, started for them, but he also was cut earlier in the year. I they still him hold back. out hope for Ari. For yeah. some reason, I still hold out hope that, you know, he's an Alabama guy and he's, you know, if he's on his game, he's a, a physical, definitely a physical, you know, run blocker, pass blocking, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, you need to be, it, it's impossible. No team in the NFL is strong at all, 22 positions. Right. The only issue is at center, you're going with Chase Rouye, a guy who was a sixth round pick a year ago that you're, that's already sort of the, Risky. We'll see what happens. Move yeah. to then have a left guard right next to it. That's also that. Uh, th- that's a little tricky. And to me, if you don't have a good offensive line, it can ruin everything. All your other plans. Oh, so, yeah. so I think that's definitely a big question mark going into the summer. So, if you're not familiar with the sports capital, you pay a few bucks a month, but you don't get any pop-up ads. You don't get a bunch of uh, website designs that look all messy. How are you guys doing with your? Sub- I'm not asking you to open up the books. I'm <laughs> just saying, are people subscribing? And you know, what is it like five bucks a month or something? And you can get a lot of quality writing from you and Brian McNally and the rest of the team there. 
Yeah, no, it, it's been it's been interesting, right? It's uh, as low as five dollars a month. Uh, we've been doing pretty good subscribers. I will definitely take a few hundred more. <laughs> uh, no, no doubt about that. Uh, look, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I think an example, you know, you can go uh, right now if you go read my Ernie Grunfeld story. That's actually open to uh, to anybody. We open that up to the public. It's sort of an example of the things we're doing. You know, we're trying to focus on. The day to day, but really also, but the bigger picture. I've, we're not trying to do the standard, uh, you know, as Ta- as my other colleague Todd Dobbs likes to say. You know, Johnny got a hit. You know, Billy ran to first. You know, we're trying to look at the bigger picture. So, what are the nuanced things? What are the things that only because we're there behind the scenes are, are, are you gonna are you gonna get? And you know, between the four main sports primarily, but all the other things in town, I think we've had a good, pretty good mix so far of the in the moment and the bigger picture stuff. And we've got a lot more to come. And hopefully, everybody wants to uh, get on board. Well, good having you here, Ben. Thank you for being yeah, so generous with your time. Appreciate it. No, I I, I appreciate it. I, I love it. love having you. Uh, love being here. You guys are great. I appreciate it. Thank you so we'll much. Tell Ernie you said hi to Grunfeld. I, I think we I think we <laughs> had a pretty balanced discussion on Ernie I Grunfeld. I think he's fine with Ernie. I know he is. Ernie yeah, might not want to talk to me, but I think he's fine with <laughs> because there are some good things he's done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, no matter what conversation I have with Ernie. About about Ernie Grunfeld, I'm always in the category of that it make whatever I think. I I'm always in the more optimistic, only because I do try to look at both sides. I think this mm-hmm. the general conversation is too much. And no matter what happens, it's all his fault. I even I mean I know we have to go. I hear people say they give him no credit for taking Wall, Beal, and Porter because they were no brainers. The number one pick in the draft the year Otto Porter was picked third was at, was out of the league in a year. So I mean, you you have to give him credit for what he's done, and you can absolutely blame him for what he's done. Just like the Kwame Brown, yeah, he was going to get crushed if, J- if Jordan didn't take Kwame. Yeah, I mean, you know, that stuff is. I think what sticks with people the most is the Jan Vesey, just just because right. of the list of players and what they've become with the Currys and the Kawhi Leonard's and Jimmy Butler and you know on and on. That's the one that sticks in people's crawl the most because the people that went way, you know, not way behind, went behind Jan Vesey, who has been. I guess he's been back in the league maybe once or twice, you know, been overseas. Uh, yeah. But if you look at that list of all stars, yeah. it doesn't have to piss anybody I off. So, right. for e- some people, that's that's it. They don't need to see anything more from him. E- even within that, and I can't defend yet picking on Vesley. Even with that, how it was managed after they got him here is something I've talked about before on my various podcasts. It's one of those things where. I think it could have made it work, except they did other things to undermine themselves. Right. That's for another discussion. But it's just one of the examples of it seems black and white disaster. But if you really look at certain aspects of it, it could have worked out, but it didn't. Yeah, I, was, I, got, I got a question. I got a question, man. We don't make. There's no rules. No, here. no, there's, there's no rules. No rules. I, uh, I'm the one who kind of dipped us back into the <laughs> Ernie Grunfeld. No, I want to about the way we talk about. We t- we started talking about what they could do next year, and I don't know a list of off the top of my head. Mm. Of who's going to be available, well, but Paul, Paul George is checked out, so he's, he's his, done, his yeah. bags are packed. He, but he's headed for LA. Uh, is there somebody out there that you've that you've heard or thought about this offseason that's going to be available that you think would be a good fit for this team? Well, they have literally zero free agent, uh, zero room in salary cap. Right. So they, I mean, no matter what free agents are technically available, they, they yeah. of, of note, there's nothing they can do about them. Yeah. All they can do they is get trade. these sort of the minimum guys like they did with Mike Scott and some right. other small things like that. They're going to have to make the, a trade. Or trade. For, you know, they, they who's, who's to, unhappy. Yeah, yeah, they would have to make a trade. And, and that's the thing, like whenever everybody talks about, oh, the Wizards have this problem, they have that problem. Well, the other teams have these problems too. Yeah. So you have to figure out the best match. Okay, they've got this. We've got this. If we, you know, how do we take advantage of their issue with what we have? And like I said, I think the Wizards—it's not a great situation. If you just leave the the big three off, 
just assume that they're <clears throat> they're keeping them because either they want to or just can't move them. Right. Like I said, between Marquise Morris last year of his deal, Martin Gortat last year of his deal, Kelly Oubre, uh, and the first round pick. I'm not saying necessarily trade any of them, but those are pieces that I think are movable. They and have now pieces you, they could use. And Marquise is on a very friendly deal. Yes. You know, that, that swindle of a deal oh, yeah, I keep yeah. bringing up every time we talk about Marquise. The, you know who's not? the one that with his sons me. lied to him and got him to stay for that. Oh, yeah. Essentially, he's on a rookie deal all this, this long. But what I want to say about Vesley, and not just about him, outside of Sato, we have, no, or Ernie or whoever, has not had a very good record with overseas players. No. You know, Petrov, uh, Hamidi Jai, and and most of you probably thinking, who the hell are these people? Yeah. And there's some others that were not Russian that I don't remember. But yeah, outside of Sato, they haven't had any success with, just stop just stop drafting overseas players. Is it fair to say to show what kind of shape this team was in that Ty Lawson got very, very meaningful minutes in this playoff? That's it, something. It, yeah. it, it, it says something. Like I said, though, it also says something he about... He played well. He did. Yeah. It also said something about Scott Brooks, I thought, because Sadoransky had played well for the chunk of the year. And and look, I, I Ty Lawson's a better player than Sadoransky. Yeah. That's not like a, really a thing. But like he then went from like this guy playing a lot to he's never going to play or if he's going to play, he's going to play out of position. Right. Right. And there was a way to manipulate that maneuver where you get Ty Lawson in there. But even within that, that Ty Lawson, it wasn't just they brought him in. He was the fifth point guard they yeah. had. The got to that game six. I mean, again, I complained about this all year. They had their wing depth was a problem because beyond the – the starters and the main backups, they had nobody. And I kept saying, they're one sprained ankle away from a disaster. Sure. And then what happened? Jody Meeks gets a 25-game suspension. Otto Porter gets hurt. Kelly Oubre can't make a shot. And now Scott Brooks has no options. Yeah. Four guys didn't play in Game 6, and none of them should have. But they, even positionally, they couldn't. Like right. They were all at a position they, they didn't need the help. Yeah. And so it, it is, and that's more of a, of a Grunfeld thing. I don't know. The whole thing, there, there's lots of reasons why it's it's a it's a head-scratcher. And there's, it, it's, it's fun to talk about it from that perspective because yeah. there's lots of angles to dissect. But, yes, it's a— Yeah, I thought a, that was—we talked about that before, and I thought it was interesting to see Lawson come in before— uh, Sato did. Yeah. And considering that, you know, he's only been there a couple of days, all the travel that he had to do just to get here and then from here get to Toronto. The 800 flights he was yeah, on. Yeah, right. He, he logged a lot, of, a lot of miles, a lot of freaking flyer miles on that one. But <laughs> just to see him come in, I know he was playing well, but like you, like like Ben said, so had Sato. And yeah. that's that's who you had leaned on when right. Wall was For going. 41 games, right? Yeah, and now you have somebody that's basically had a cup of coffee here and now he's – coming out ahead of him. So for it's back to Scott tinkering with things and maybe he's playing the hot hand. I don't know. But only only God and Brooks know that. I have no clue what he was up to. Uh, I'll 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 just end it on this. For all the talk it's very much like of a sort of a negative tone. If the Wizards bring back everybody. I mean, uh, Mike Scott's afraid if they bring back all the guys they have under contract and they add fill out the roster and everybody avoids major injuries, mm-hmm. I think they're a four or five seed next year. I mean, if everybody yeah. makes standard improvements, like it's not like we're talking about a team that's going to the lottery. Right. They have talent that it's not maybe going to beat LeBron and win. So there's that. I'm just saying there's enough here to be that four or five seed again. I it's think just, what people are going to see is that every other team in the East is, is getting, getting better. better. Sure. Yeah. And Philly makes that huge jump, yeah. you know, from out of the playoffs into the third seed. You know, so yeah, like you said, Milwaukee is there. Miami is getting better. You got teams that will slowly Kyrie walk us back. down if we don't continue to make improvements. Yeah. I, I was scared of Philly before because I knew, and, and Fultz isn't even really playing. Yeah. So you've got that to add to it, and they'll just keep on 
trusting whatever the process and, and getting better. But we have to keep taking steps with other people because if not, like yeah. this year, they will leapfrog us. Yeah. We'll see. Better things for the Wizards. And uh, good things for Ben Standig, who's <laughs> been so generous with his time. Co-founder of the Sports Capital, the DMV Sports Roundtable is on Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, and WTOP's mobile app. Just tap listen for Redskins fans, large and small, all around the world. God help us.